Hey guys, welcome to a Light in the Darkness podcast. I'm Carly Robison. I'm a wife, a mother, and a person who's been suffering with severe health challenges for over 10 years. Through that time, I've had successes and failures while trying to maintain a positive attitude. Now I want to share what I've learned with you, hoping to make your hard times a little easier. This podcast is to help those of us facing times of darkness and trial find ways to let the light in. Hello, thank you for joining us on the Light in the Darkness podcast. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Gina Hansen. Thanks so much for joining us today, Gina. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. <laughs> so first, let me just tell all these guys a little bit about you, if that's okay. Gina Gates Hansen was born in Richfield, Utah, and grew up there until she was 12 and moved to South Jordan, Utah. Gina grew up with three brothers and three sisters. Gina tried school and different jobs after graduating high school, and her parents and some of her family moved to St. George. She decided to move there to attend college at Dixie, where she met her husband, Paul. He joined the Army National Guard shortly after they were married. Gina's husband has been deployed twice and has come home safe every time, and he works so hard for them. Together, Gina and Paul have seven kids. They have had their ups and downs, but the gospel, Jesus Christ, and Heavenly Father get them through them. So I'm just so excited to be able to talk to you. Um, you and I had talked before, but we went to the same high school together, but it was such a, a large high school. And I think we met actually kind of a little bit before that, right? At a girls camp. <laughs> uh -huh. yep, at a girls camp. I remember that. And you and I were partners on our hike or something. Uh, like that. <laughs> well, I've always loved Gina. I've always admired her. And even though... In high school, we just had such a, a large high school, and it seems like we weren't able to even hardly talk because there was yeah. no room to even walk in the halls. But I've been so happy yeah. about social media that I can kind of reconnect with people from that time and also get to know them um, better because I think that I'm just so grateful to get to know you and to feel of your, your light and spirit that you share on Facebook. So first, let's just kind of get to know you a little bit. You talked about growing up in Richfield. That's a pretty small town in Utah. And yeah. you had six siblings, which is a lot. So where do you kind of fall in that birth order? I am fifth. Okay. So. Um, out of, yeah. And I have one younger brother, one younger sister. Okay, cool. So, so tell me yeah. kind of what, what kinds of things you guys like to do. I'm sure with a big family, you spend a lot of time together. <laughs> As a kid? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, we played outside a lot. We we did uh, hunting and camping, and we, you know, I did all the silly things with my brothers, like tie the sled to the back of the truck and drive around town. <laughs> you know, those kind of cool things. Yeah. Um, we all loved the snow. We loved, um, I don't know, like Christmases were awesome because we had such a big family. It was just stuff everywhere, and it was, <laughs> you know, wrapping paper all over all day long. You know, that kind of fun thing. And yeah. Um, yeah, we all got along really well. We all teased and fought and, but we had our really good times also because we're all still really close. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. Yeah. So in your bio, you talked about meeting your husband when you were at college. So do you want to tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so we had some mutual friends. I was actually friends with his sister from church and he, or she, I guess she kept thinking that she's like, I need to set you up with my brother. And she just wouldn't do it, but she never said anything really. And then uh, she and my, one of my best friends down here, like made me go to this scripture read, we called it. And it was like a scripture reading at the temple that we would go to and to sit on the stairs of the temple and read scriptures as a big group of friends. And we'd talk about it and gain our, you know, strengthen our testimonies and stuff. And he came to one of those and we just hit it off. It was just like mainly like really good friends from the beginning. And then all of a sudden we were engaged kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't really have a dating, dating story. Some, we always were with our friends when we were dating. So it was, it was really fun though. It was like just kind of an exciting adventure. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. So you got married and um where did you move did you kind of stick around St. George or where did you guys end up oh we ended up in Cedar right after we got married we ended up in Cedar and that's when my husband joined the National Guard was the the triple deuce and um I worked for a care center and he worked for a furniture company and we kind of were just enjoying life in our little tiny two-bedroom apartment and (laughs) (laughs) um and then I got pregnant with our first baby. I'd actually miscarried a couple times before. So I got pregnant with our first baby that stuck. And then we, um, he, um, we bought a house shortly after, like I was like five months pregnant when we moved into our house. And so, um, and then when she was eight months old, that's when he got first deployed. Oh, wow. So yeah, (laughs) it was crazy times. We, I remember getting that phone call and we were both like, uh, what do we do? But, um, and then the day before he left, we found out I was pregnant with number two. Oh, <laughs> that was super scary to me. I was in super denial and, uh, but she kind of, we kind of call her our deployment baby because she kind of marked off the beginning and the ending of the deployment. She was the day before he left, I found out I was pregnant and she was nine months old the day he came home, like turned oh. nine months old the day he came home. So he was gone for 18 months the first time, but um, those little two little babies, God knows what he's doing because those two little babies got me through and it was just the craziest, like, and he was in one of the hot spots. And so when I would hear those stories, I just hold my babies closer until I got the phone call that he was okay. Yeah, so, that's beautiful. Yeah. All right, so you have seven kids, so five more after that. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? <laughs> sure. I, um, our third baby, uh, we actually moved to Phoenix for a little while, like uh, just for a few months, actually. And we had heard just a couple months after I got, after we moved back to St. George. We moved to St. George after that, and that's where we've been since. But she was born a couple months after we came back from Phoenix and she was born five weeks early. Oh, wow. She was four pounds. Yeah. She was a tiny little thing, but she actually like another miracle. Heavenly father just kind of one day said, you're going to have this baby tomorrow. And I kind of knew, and I'd never really like experienced labor. Like, so I didn't know I was in labor. I knew I was in pain, but the nurse was like, how are you not like even flinching? And I'm like, that's labor. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I thought my back just hurt for a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy fun, but she was super healthy. Um, she didn't even have to be in the NICU or anything. She was super healthy, super just ready to come, and God knew it. And 
the doctor had told me, he said, this is your last baby. I can't because I almost died every time. And so he's like, I can't deliver any more babies for you. This is your last one. <laughs> and he's like, you got to find a new doctor or get your or be done having babies. And so I did. I just ended up getting my tubes tied after that one. And yeah. um, and then she was about like during during that pregnancy, we knew that we had a, a nephew. Paul's sister had a baby and they were struggling really bad. She was struggling to um, function with the baby and they were homeless and but they lived in Virginia. So we really couldn't just go and help the baby, you know, help her with the baby. So we would call and check on her and stuff. And we found out that right before I had my last one, that she, that he, or she had been kicked out of another um, homeless shelter and the baby had been taken away because of abuse. And then we found out he was born to addicted to drugs and all of these things. So we offered to help and the state actually would have rather they were like we were waiting for kinship to call because we wanted we would rather have him with family than here you know in a foster care home with the where nobody knows where he's from and so we actually took him on six weeks when my daughter was six weeks old we flew out to Virginia to pick him up and he was he's he was 18 months old at that time and how old were your other kids (laughs) that's a lot yeah I had a three-year-old a two-year-old a six-week-old and an 18-month-old now, wow. so three, two, one, and newborn. So it was crazy times, yeah. and he cried for about three months straight because he just didn't know what to do, how to communicate. Um, we had to help him learn how, a lot of things, like how to eat with a fork or a spoon at 18 months old, um, mm. how to climb. He didn't know, like, babies start climbing at, like, you know, when they start walking around furniture, they yeah. can start climbing. He didn't know any of that stuff uh he like would burn himself on food because he one day he climbed up on the table and I had oatmeal on the table in a pan and I was waiting for it all and I you know scooped them all up and left him in the middle while we prayed and stuff and he climbed up on the table and grabbed the pot and just and he screamed because it burned him but he just didn't know he wanted food so bad because he was so neglected he didn't he just wanted food right now before it disappeared and so that's what we were called for, like was for, I mean, God again knew what he was doing. It was just one of those, you need this baby because he's gonna, he needs to make it kind of thing. And yeah. So it was really hard, but it was really rewarding. He's okay. now 14 and he's almost six feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> so we fed him right, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> he learned. <laughs> yeah. So Beautiful. Yeah. So, and then are there, is that number four? So there are three more after yeah. him. Tell me a little bit quick about kind of how you were ended, ended up with those ones also. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul's other sister, um, she had been struggling for quite some time, a single mom, you know, just not being able to really care for her kids the right way. And Paul one day, actually, he told me this actually recently that he woke up in the middle of the night one night and said, we're going to get those kids. And they had been at our house quite a few times. We're aunt and uncle, you know, we'd had them for a couple weeks at a time. And, and then we got a message from their dad in Texas that said, I can't do this anymore. And their mom can't do this anymore. Can you guys take on these three kids? And so we, we actually said, absolutely, we can come tomorrow. And we got on a plane and drove, flew out to Texas and got the kids and wow. brought them home. And then we were asked to adopt them. So we did. How so, old were these, these kids? Um, 10 seven 
10, 8, and 5, and now they're 13, 11, and 8. So wow. That's beautiful. So tell me, tell me the ages of all of your kids right now, just so we can kind of see <laughs> how close they are. <laughs> so I have 16, 15, uh, 14, 13, 13, 11, and 8. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> right in the, in the thick of it with teenagers. <laughs> yes, five teenagers. Oh. Food. Too much food Gina, everywhere. this is, yeah. this is just so beautiful. I think, um, one of my favorite parts about talking to you is first of all, just how much faith radiates through every, every conversation that you have. Um, it's apparent that you have a good relationship with your heavenly father and it's apparent that that he knows that when he tells you something, you'll listen. And honestly, that's, that's a really difficult thing for people to learn. And I find it just so admirable that you're able to, to hear him and to have that relationship with him. And um, what a beautiful, beautiful way to get your family. And, and now you're all together and yeah. healthy and happy. And honestly, I think all of this is just the, the perfect um, setup for something that pretty scary that happened to your family um, because yeah. of this level of faith that you've always had in your family. I'm sure it helped you to be able to survive this difficult time. So can we talk about that now? I think it was in November of 2019. Something pretty scary happened. Yeah, uh, we were actually coming home from Bryce Canyon. We had been on a, a enjoying Thanksgiving with my family, you know, and um, we were, we decided to come home and we were driving through um, the back roads from Mount Carmel and stuff. And we decided to go through Zion. Um, my husband works in Zion. And so we thought that we'd go and pick up his car and just, you know, make it easy in a short, shorter trip. And the roads had been pretty dry. So we decided just to cut through Zion. And then as soon as we started driving through Zion, we, it was snowing really bad and the roads were just wet and slushy and it was just continuing to snow. And as we're, you know, as we're driving up the canyon, we see cars that, you know, are because it had started snowing, like driving too fast or had gone off the road and we'd stop and make sure they were okay and everything like that. And oh. the prompting like was came to me, like something's going to happen, but you know, and I was, but I was really calm about it all, but I didn't really realize that until way later that I had had that prompting, like something's going to happen, but you'll be okay. And, um, we were coming down a big hill and we had actually had four wheel drive and my husband was only going about 30 miles an hour, maybe even lower. He said he was going 30 and that was too fast, but we really were creeping. So I don't even know how fast we were going, but um, we got to the bottom of this hill and we hit, you know, the thick snow on top of slush on top of ice, you know, and our car just, slid out of control and we went off the road into a ravine and on the way down we hit a rock a big huge like boulder and we rolled and then we rolled again and then we landed upside down and I remember laying there thinking what the heck just happened you know and yeah. um the kids were screaming and I remember my oldest daughter I was just laying there like okay I don't want to I didn't don't even want to ask if everybody's okay, I don't want to know. I just yeah. hope nobody's hurt and, or, you know, or worse. And 
my oldest daughter goes, or my second oldest daughter said, you guys have got to stop screaming. And so we, they all stopped screaming. And I said, is everybody okay? And I looked over at my husband and he had actually passed out and he was hanging from his seatbelt in the driver's seat. And um, then I thought something was wrong, but then he unbuckled. And, and as I was at, looking at that, my kids were answering, yes, we're all here, we're all okay. And I start yelling out names and they're all, yes, we're fine. And I guess, I passed out and I don't remember saying this, but I told my kids to roll down a window and get out. And so they were all climbing out and I passed out again. And my husband, I looked up and my husband was looking at me and he just kind of covered his face like, oh no, you got hit. And he said, are you okay? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, no, really. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> like it was just kind of one of those weird. I Probably didn't know shock. Really. Yeah. Yeah shock, yeah. shock the most, I believe. And I didn't even know I had hit my head. I didn't know, um, I couldn't feel it. And but all I could know, knew was my leg was killing me. And I thought that I had bones and I didn't want to look. I thought I had blood and bones hanging out and I just didn't want to look at it. But um, I, I guess I passed out again and my husband was um, trying to figure out a way to get out. And I passed out again, but the next thing I know, I'm hanging out the back window and I have a guy running down the hill yelling, don't move. I'm coming. You can't move. And so I'm just like, okay. And then I guess I passed out again. Cause next thing I know he's right next to me. And he said, did you hit your head? And I said, I don't know. Anyway. And he asked that question multiple times and I just did not know if I hit my head. And then I said, did I hit my head? And he goes, yeah, that's why I'm holding your head is because I don't, you don't feel it. And so I'm afraid something's really wrong with your spine and your back. And, you know, I had all these things and I have a blood disorder where I don't clot. And I had actually cut my head too, but it, it wasn't bleeding. It was kind of wow. crazy. And um, it was bleeding a little bit, just not how it would have, you know, on a normal day, I guess. Um, and anyway, so he says, my name is Brian and I am an EMT. And he said, I've been, I was an EMT for like 15 years and now I'm a, a physician's assistant and so I know how to help you. So just trust me. And I said, okay. And I kept passing out and he said, Jeannie, you got to stay with me. And he kept talking to me. And, and then suddenly my husband said, I can't get out. <laughs> and so we had a lot of people come down because I was blocking the only way out through the car. And so we had a lot of people come down and, and help. And they were just coming from like, it was just seriously the best thing ever. My kids were um, taken care of up in cars with heaters all of them had bare feet at least most of them did in the snow like it was like two or three feet of snow on the ground and um, anyway so I I kept passing out and he kept talking to me and he was there it took an hour and a half to two hours for those ambulances to get up the snowy canyon and Brian sat there I always cry I was um, in the he was just squatting against this boulder for two hours almost just holding my head and holding me in place and talking to me and it was freezing cold and I just remember thinking wow what an amazing person this is but as he's holding my head he said you have some amazing kids and I said I really what happened and he said he said I never would have seen you you're so far down in the canyon and inside the canyon like I never would have seen you off the road yeah. had your kids not ran up the ravine and waved me down and I was like oh that's so great and then um 
my husband was able to get out. He was up, up there with the kids helping and running back down and checking on me. And, and uh, when finally, when the paramedics came, um, I just kept just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And he's like, you're fine. But uh, the, finally, when the paramedics came, uh, the ambulances got there, they put me on a board and had to break out the back window and put me through. I, I mean, again, they had to break it out for my husband, but they broke it out again so the board would fit through. And they carried me through the car and out the back window on this board and got me in the ambulance. And my oldest daughter was in there waiting for me. And I saw her and I just cried because she was okay. And she said, mom, stop crying. You're fine. And so am I. <laughs> she was just like being the mom. And the, it was so cute. But, and I, so she just held my hand the entire time. And I said, I said, Abby, who, who ran to the top of the hill? And she goes, what? And I said, he said, a few of you ran to the top of the hill to wave the, wave him down. And she goes, she said, mom, no, we all got out of the car and sat by you and said a prayer. And anyway, the, and then we both just started to cry because we knew angels had been there that day. Yeah. Angels in our car to keep us safe, angels everywhere. And I had been prompted to, like right before we crashed, that I should not put my seatbelt back on. I had turned to check on a child who was causing problems. <laughs> we all know that. And I turned to put my seatbelt back on and it was like, don't. And so I was like, oh, so I just let it go. And the paramedic and my husband were talking and if I had kept my seatbelt on, I would not be here today because I wouldn't have had the movement to hit the boulder and the windshield and then bounce back sideways how I did, like I swung sideways and I would have just face planted into that rock and it would have killed me. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so a lot of miracles that day, a lot, a lot of great, wonderful things. And none of our kids were hurt. They, well, majorly, we had one out of seven kids and two adults. We had one broken collarbone, uh, a sprained knee, and a sprained wrist out of everybody that got hurt. There was no glass. We had so much luggage in the back because of our huge family that we had no glass splattered through wow. with any of the windshields or with any of the windows or anything, no glass splattered and cut anybody. And it was just, just an amazing thing to think about, even though it's scary, it's amazing to look back and see all the miracles. For sure. You were so watched over and protected. It's such a beautiful, beautiful story. So yeah. tell me, tell me about your injuries. So your head was was cut open but not bleeding a lot what what kind of happened with that um i i had a huge bump on there too like the doctors and my family were teasing me that i looked like i belonged in star trek my whole forehead <laughs> my whole forehead was like swollen like clear across the whole thing and it was just black and blue and i actually got to the point later that day in the hospital in the emergency room where all of a sudden it just and i could kind of feel something like doing something weird on my head and then all of a sudden i could see it it was so swollen i could see my forehead like wow. <laughs> um and then i did have to go to therapy i have a a traumatic brain injury from that oh, okay. um 
and it's taken me a minute. I got my, I have migraines. I can't do some things. Um, I was actually talking to Carrie about a lot of this and yeah. I can't, I can't memorize. I used to be able to memorize anything and like poems were my favorite thing to memorize and songs. And I, I can't do that anymore. It, I'm stopped. <laughs> um, but I did go to break to therapy and I'm able to teach reading again. I can't really read silently on my own without getting a migraine, but I can teach reading again. So mm. I'm back to doing that. So that's beautiful. I think, um, I don't know if I've shared with you, but I have a son that also got a traumatic brain injury. Um, yes, you did yeah. tell me that. So he got in a longboarding accident and I'm planning on, um, doing an episode in the future kind of about that. But I think that when you hear people getting concussions or brain injuries, um, they're so common. And so I think yeah. a lot of times people just think, oh, it's just kind of like a broken bone and, you know, it, they stitch you up and it heals. But um, traumatic brain injuries are just so different and, and quite honestly, life altering for, I would yeah. say, the majority of the people who um, get the brain injury. And my son was blessed just like you to be able to heal from it. And he honestly should have died from his. But um, you know, Heavenly Father blessed us and he blessed you. But I think that that's something that people don't always understand is that there's still, I mean, this has been almost a year, I guess, um, yeah. of, of you fighting with this brain injury and um, you're still dealing with after effects. So I'm sure that's, that's difficult for you as a mom and of seven yeah. children, difficult for the children to understand. Mom needs a, a brain break. <laughs> yeah. And, when they, and they're actually able to tell me now, they say, mom, you need a brain break. Oh, good. They're like, that's your injury talking. You need to go lay down or they'll, you know, just because I'm not, a lot of times I'm just not me. I am me. You know what I mean? But yeah. a lot of times how I react to things or what I say, they're like, mom, you need to go lay down. <laughs> we got you. <laughs> That's really beautiful. Good. I love that. So like you said, I mean, this is such a, I mean, nothing short of a miraculous story um, that you just told. And I'm sure that um, it was very faith building for not only you, but what an opportunity for your kids and your family. So can we talk a little bit about that? Some of the ways that, sure. that going through this accident has, has changed your family and maybe strengthened your faith, or um, sometimes it makes it so people question why Heavenly Father, yeah. you know, allows bad things to happen. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, well, I did have like right after, not right after, in the hospital, like one of my daughters said, she was crying and she said, why, we said a prayer before we left, why, that we would be safe. And she said, why, why did God not answer our prayer? And I said, he did. I said, prayer does not keep bad things from happen happening, but he did keep us safe aren't we all alive? Are we all okay? And she was like, oh my gosh, yeah, we are. And so now when we pray, like if we're leaving to go somewhere, uh, we pray or we even pray for somebody, that daughter will say, and it's okay. Like if something happens, we're praying to, we're praying to Heavenly Father and he will just, if something bad happens, it's still okay because he didn't let it happen worse or 
you know, it's just really, it's really amazing to see the change. And with my teenagers, the, my oldest one, she really was humbled by it all. And um, my second oldest is more outspoken about her testimony and about God and about, you know, and with her friends. And she's like, you know, she has friends, all of her friends are not um, members of the church. And so she's able to say, hey, no, God's real, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have proof. Yeah. And so, but our other daughter just kind of, she kind of just holds it all in and she just kind of consumes it all um, quietly. And you can actually, I could actually see a change in a lot of the kids when they heard the angel story. When I got home from the hospital, I told them and they were all just sitting by my bed, just all of them were sobbing because they couldn't believe. Because I just reaffirmed to them that God did answer our prayer. He sent angels and probably had angels ready, you know. And um, I think for us, like if anything, if anything for my children, it helped them to be able to know that prayer works. And that was the best thing that could have happened for any of us, especially from when the kids who we've adopted the crazy lives they've lived and, you know, didn't go to church before. It was just an amazing thing to teach them at such a high cost, but it was an amazing thing for them to see. Yeah. I think that's the most beautiful part about going through hard times is that um, if you're, if you're able and aware enough to look for it, there are miracles happening every time you're going through a difficult time. And I mean, it might not be, you know, one where you're actually, people are literally seeing angels um, to come to your aid. But I promise that those are, those miracles are always there when we're going through the hard times. So, yeah. So can we talk a little bit about, um, some strategies that you use to get through hard times. I think about, you know, having so many children so quick together and adopting kids from, um, you know, homes that were very difficult. I think also those experiences have given you opportunities to learn some strategies of how to use these hard times to make you better instead of bitter at Heavenly Father. So can we talk about some of those? Sure, we do have um, a lot of family meetings. (laughs) We have, we all, we 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 do pray a lot in this house, and we um, we reaffirm. And a lot of the teaching I do with my children, I I bear my testimony quite a bit, and so a lot of the strategies, like when our children, I mean, my children struggle too, and they have problems too. But I remember. always just implementing our savior in a lot of our conversation, even if, if it's one-on-one or if it's in a group and, um, and the church. And since we um, have been home for church, we actually teach every day, really. And we don't just kind of like have a church lesson, but you know what I mean? <laughs> but I, but we do, when we do have our talking about God and the kids end up asking about God and, um, some of the strategies we use to like get through the hard times is um, the little, the two little girls. I, I try it with my teenagers. They don't like it anymore. But I, <laughs> I um, every day when they leave for school, I say, who are you? Or I say, what's your name? And they say, Chloe or Christy. And I say, who are you? And they say, child of God. 
And one time the 10 year old said, when she was 10 anyway, she said, <clears throat> um, or when she first moved in, I mean, she said, I, uh, she said, I love that you do that because it's really important to me that I know that I'm a daughter of God. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then I say, I either say, and what does that mean to you? Or I say, and treat everybody else like they are too. Oh, that's beautiful. And so they, they go off to school, no matter how rough of a morning we've all had, no matter how much I'm saying, get out of bed, you're going to be late. And I'm going to be late too. You know, um, we always, always send them to school with those words every time. It doesn't matter if she's, if the 11 year old, which she does a lot, <laughs> um, cause problems or whatever, she goes to school knowing she is a child of God. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, And how about you specifically? If you are, are struggling with maybe a bad brain day or if you're feeling overwhelmed with um, things that are going on in your life, what are some things that you do yourself to kind of stay in a more positive mindset? Uh, I listen to a lot of conference talks. Um, I will just actually just open the app and open that that little section and I just scroll and stop. Sometimes my eyes close, sometimes not. And I just listen to whatever one of my thumbs lands on. Yeah. And God knows, usually like he knows which one I need to hear that day. And it's kind of amazing. That's beautiful. And then I share it with my husband and we share, and he does the same thing. Like if he read, reads one or listens to one while he's working, he will share it with me and I'll share mine with him. And it, it actually has been really great for our marriage that way too. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. So if somebody is listening to this podcast right now and they're going through something hard, it might not be healing from a car crash and it might not be adopting babies that have been neglected or children, um, but they might be experiencing just something difficult for them. What advice would you give them? Um, look up. <laughs> I love... I love that conference talk because no matter what's going on in the world, if we look up, God's going to hear us. We're going to be closer. We're going to, I mean, look for the positive, look for something bigger and better than you. And that to me, that's God. And my relationship with Heavenly Father, whether I remember to listen, read my scriptures every day or pray every day or not, like um, he is always there. He's never let me go. And when I'm having my hardest times and I look up, that's when I can feel him carrying me the most. And I think that as a whole, if we if we look up and we recognize, even though no matter how hard it is for us to recognize, recognize just a little bit, just a little glimmer of something bigger and better than you, wanting to help you, wanting to be there for you, it's, it's going to get stronger. That feeling will get stronger. And your relationship with your heavenly father is the most important relationship you'll have. And you'll soon start to recognize that and know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God does love you. God does love all of us. And he is not here to help let us fail or to let us be miserable. And I think that's the most important thing for me is my relationship with my heavenly father, knowing that he is there. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If somebody was inspired by your story and wants to reach out and talk to you, is there a way that they can do that? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Facebook Messenger is the best one. Um, 
under Gina Ray Gates Hansen. Um, yeah, and then just maybe friend, maybe request me to be my friend on Facebook and we can messenger each other and then build our relationship from there. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank I, you so much for having me. Oh, I've been blessed to hear your story and to feel of your sweet spirit. So thank you. And thank you all so much for listening to my A Light in the Darkness podcast. I've been truly humbled by the support that I've been given. If you wouldn't mind maybe sharing this episode on your own social media account, or you could leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate that too. Doing these things can help people who are struggling with difficult trials learn how to use them to become better instead of bitter. They can find strength through the stories like Gina's and the spirit that they feel. So thanks so much for listening, and I will see you all here next Wednesday. Bye. I want to give a special thanks to my son Carter for recording and writing our intro and outro music for this podcast. If you want to hear more of his music, you can find him on Instagram at CarterGuitar456. 